Hello, everybody, and welcome to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. And I'm Lauren. Lauren, shall we read a poem? Yes, we shall. And at this point, we will read two poems because there are a lot of poems in Where the Sidewalk Ends. And if we don't start reading multiple poems at once, we will never get through this. Two poems? It's like a terrible Batman sequel where they needed more than one villain. Yeah, I mean, I think the villain, there's pretty much just one villain for these poems today, and it's Younger Siblings. All right. For Sale by Shel Silverstein. One sister for sale, one sister for sale, one crying and spying young sister for sale. I'm really not kidding, so who'll start the bidding? Do I hear a dollar, a nickel, a penny? Oh, isn't there, isn't there, isn't there any? One kid who will buy this old sister for sale, this crying and spying young sister for sale. So we both... Well, you chose this poem because we both hate it, or it it freaked us out a lot as kids. And for me, a big part of that was the drawing, and I think we should describe the drawing. The drawing is aggressive. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> one could only assume this is an older sibling that has started the auction. Yes, it looks like a masculine older sibling, He and his, his mouth is just absolutely enormous, and he's got a pot belly, and for some reason a comb in his back pocket. I'm digging the cuffed pants as well. I am too. Those are definitely hand-me-downs from somebody. Or maybe he's just a, or maybe he's just fashion forward. No, those are his dad's pants. <laughs> so he is clearly bellowing to the heavens and pointing a lot at a very small, very bebowed sister at the end of this sort of auction block. She's so pathetic. She's just tiny, and she's all hair. <laughs> it, it's very cousin-it, isn't it? Yeah, and she's also crying, and that made me really sad, too. Because if she was like, nana-nana-nana while he was doing it, I wouldn't have been as freaked out by this poem when I was a kid. Oof. Yeah. It's, it's aggressive. It's very aggressive. So my sister and I are two years apart. I'm the older one, and... We fought a lot as kids, uh, and there were times when we didn't like each other, but we always loved each other. And I was horrified by this poem, because as mad as I was at my sister sometimes, I would never, ever want to do this to her. Like, I never... uh, The the idea of her being harmed in any sort of way was very upsetting to me. And I know it's like nobody could actually really sell their sister, but I wouldn't even want to joke about that. I definitely was never the the sort of older sisters like I'd wish the goblins would come and take her away. Like I found Labyrinth really upsetting for that reason too. <laughs> ah, so it was so it was harm in general. Like whether it was you visiting harm or someone else visiting harm, all harm was upsetting. Well, I mean, I hit her, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> so you are the exception to this harm. Only I can hurt my sister, Jareth. David Bowie, you're not going to hurt my sister. Well, I mean, I also was two years older, and so I wasn't really able to conduct a lot of harm on her. And it was, I mean, we, we both beat each other up quite a bit. I, too, am the older sibling. Uh, my sister is three years younger. And I don't recall any really big drag-out fights. I know we hit each other, but as far as something like super nasty happening, I don't really recall anything. Uh, We definitely get along better as adults. I think what I found most distressing about this poem wasn't the idea of the sister being sold. It was the manner in which the sister was being sold. And more than anything, the drawing definitely upset me. 
Right. There's no adult coming out to like yell at the older brother or, or put an end to this. Um, and I think this sort of idea of the older sibling trying to get rid of the younger sibling is common, but usually something interrupts it. And as far as slights, real or imagined, we only get one hint and it's crying and spying. Right. But she's not actively spying. She's just crying. I think, in my mind, the spying, whatever that was, was the catalyst for the sister auction. Right, I assume so, too. One line that I think in this poem that's important is, One kid isn't there, oh, isn't there, isn't there, isn't there any one kid who will buy this old sister for sale? And I think they need to add that, Shell needed to add that in there, because otherwise it might be an adult. <laughs> and that gets real messed up. This is problematic. Mm-hmm. In the illustration, this auctioneer... Are we, are, are we certain this is an older brother? I mean, I made the assumption. With Shell, it's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah. But either way, it's, it, it's rendered all the more fearful because you have a... Like, this is an adult sibling. I assumed he was... Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's an adult. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Maybe it's the pot belly that's doing it in for me. No, I mean, I think he's... I mean, I, he is a caricature of... A nasty older brother. I think he's a kid. He's probably, she's probably like, what, four? And he's probably like 10. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Because I read that as four and clearly 18. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, man, that makes it way more sinister. <laughs> I thought so. Oh, wow. Because that doesn't look like a 10-year-old to me. I've not known a 10-year-old with a gut. I mean, a lot of children do have bellies. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to think that this is an adult selling his kid sister. Either way, it's fearful. Yeah, it is. It is upsetting. I also like am looking at for sale, and I'm wondering if we can avoid talking about slavery because, as to white people, we cannot like. There's no such thing as white slavery, and and the people in the drawing appear white, and someone's selling their sister. But the way you, if you're auctioning off someone, you are inviting the comparison to slavery you're selling a person uh but we are two white people and you know it's it's like not really ours to talk about other than to try to amplify other voices on this topic and so i, I i'm not really sure what to say it's curious that you mentioned that and you, like as you say you can't sell a person without raising the specter of slavery and presented through a childlike lens, it's interesting to see how many institutional injustices are reflected in what might be considered childhood play. So it's like you have the, the boys with their clubhouse and the sign on the outside that says, no girls allowed. And then you have country clubs where it's no girls allowed. Right. Hmm. For Sale is a darker poem than we gave it credit for. No, I mean, I I did think about it coming in as like, wow, this looks a whole lot like an auction block for people coming through who were sold, the terms sold up the up the river, where they were taken away from their families and, it's, you know, became property of someone else to be worked to death or whatever. And it that's a, it's hard. It's, it's difficult to talk about. Not because I should shy away from speaking it. It's just that I'm not the right voice to, as a white person to, to talk about it. All right. So, pancake. Who wants a pancake? Sweet and piping hot. Good little Grace looks up and says, 
I'll take the one on top. Who else wants a pancake? Fresh off the griddle. Terrible Teresa smiles and says, I'll take the one in the middle. I remember digging this poem when I was a wee. Yeah, this one's not fearful at all. No, the picture is vintage Shel Silverstein, innocuous, big tower pancakes. There aren't even any people in it. Nope, just pancakes. Just pancakes. And uh, When I was a kid, I ate so many pancakes. I could eat so many pancakes. I could eat way more pancakes than I am at this large size. When I was six years old, I would eat so many pancakes. <laughs> I never. I was never a fan of pancakes. Really? How dare I, you? I, I sort of... I mean, I appreciate them in the abstract, but I think I'm good for, like, one. <laughs> if, What's wrong with you, Russ? If only facial expressions could translate through podcasts. Well, you want to tell people what I look like? Just, just the shit. It, it, it looks like I just kicked a, a something rotten her way. <laughs> well, pancakes are delightful, and you are not, then. I remember... So, the, the, so there were two instances when I was a wee when pancakes were kind of a thing. And one was when I was really small and one when I was a bit older. The first pancakes I ever had were from McDonald's. And I don't think they call, I think they, they call them hotcakes or they used to. And I ate those pancakes the same way my dad did, which you, you would take a pancake and tear it into bits with your hands and then dip it in the syrup and eat it like that. Yeah, that is strange. Then there were the IHOP pancakes. And I found that just overwhelming because this was too much bread at one go. And then here come the syrup and this just seems not okay. (laughs) And I've never had a big appetite. And nowadays, if ever I find myself in an IHOP, I always substitute the pancakes with something else. I don't find myself in IHOPs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my, My mother, Mary, who is from Canada, when she joined our family... She would put salt and pepper and sometimes Worcestershire sauce on top of her pancakes, and she blamed it on being Canadian. But I have yet to meet another Canadian who does this abomination. Here I am living in the country, and I've never seen such a thing. No, she's from eastern Canada, though. Maybe something happens out there. (laughs) Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island. Yeah, maybe they get real weird. She's actually from (laughs) Ottawa. Ottawa. Well, that's barely eastern Canada. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's 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 centralia that is no well so you heard it here folks that if you ever find yourself in ottawa the way to eat your pancakes is with worcestershire sauce and salt and pepper because uh, apparently satan himself lives in ottawa she put worcestershire sauce on a lot of things and i think it was just that she really liked worcestershire sauce and maybe her dad did it or something but gosh <laughs> i loved pancakes and i couldn't stand to see them treated that way yeah, that's, a, that's just a foul preparation. Right. She doesn't do it anymore. I think my sister and I shamed her out of it. Well done. Yeah. But, <laughs> but pancakes dovetailing with uh, for sale, usually you see pancakes in kind of a familial setting. Right. One of us was Grace and one of us was Teresa. D- do you care to name names? Oh, I was definitely Grace and my sister <laughs> was definitely Teresa. Maybe she feels the opposite way. I was going to say, describing last week, it it sounded like y'all shared quite a bit of the Teresa blame, what with your recollections on chores and all that. Right. So the difference between my sister and I is, is that I could often play the good girl while my sister took risks. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, this is this says a lot about me, but... 
my uh, my maternal grandmother and aunt used to call me the instigator because when trouble happened, I usually somehow convinced my sister to do it. So if I wanted ice cream, for example, but I thought that the request wouldn't get a good reception, I would then whisper to my younger sister, mm, wouldn't ice cream be good? <laughs> and, and away then... she goes to get in trouble. Yep, and then she goes and she's the demanding one. I see. So... Yeah. You, you you might have been Grace, but you would definitely be whispering to Teresa to take the one in the middle. Well, I mean, it depended if I really wanted the one in the middle. If that one was <laughs> the one I actually thought was good, I'd be like, you know, the ones in the middle are just kind of bigger, aren't they? Yeah, they are, aren't they? Oh, I bet they're better. And then if my sister actually convinced them to open up the stack of pancakes and get the ones in the middle, then I'd be like, oh, actually, those look really good. Could I have one in the middle, too? And that's how sometimes I got ice cream and I never got yelled at for it. Well, there you go. Yeah. I think what's most troubling to me in this poem is that soft rhyme in the first stanza. It's hot and top. I don't... Mm. Uh, that, that, that bothers me. Mm. You know, I didn't. it doesn't bother me because there isn't a direct rhyme until later. Mm. Griddle and middle. So if we were just going on the vowels, the vowel sounds, then I think I would be okay with hot and top. Um, but then when we get an actual rhyme, then it makes the approximate rhyme just using vowel sounds seem cheap. Indeed. How could we fix this? Let's, 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 let's write to Shell. Most of my rhymes are rhyming top with top, and that's probably. I know, it's something like that. See, I'm coming up with words like glop, and that's not going to work <laughs> at all. Who wants a pancake, sweet and piping hot? Good little Grace looks up and says, the first one thanks a lot. Oh, Yeah. Shell, yeah, we fixed. We, we... And she's and she's also very polite when she's saying thank you. Shell, we fixed your poem. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Shell died in 1999. Yes, he at did. Age 60 something. I think 63. I'll take 63 Shell years versus 100 of mine. He banged a lot of women. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I know he did a he lot of. He like... liked bragging about how many women he had banged. But let's talk about this. Well, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about it because I actually have only read a Wikipedia article and I don't <laughs> actually know that much about it. Yeah, I'm going to, I think at some point I'm going to start reading a Shel Silverstein biography while we're doing this podcast. Let's talk about privilege. Okay, sure. You and I had, have, have talked not on the podcast about how Karen, such as it is, might be a problematic term. Right. Um, and then maybe I'll just go out and say what I think the how Karen should or shouldn't be used, which is that I don't think that uh, white people should use the term Karen, especially not white men. Mm. Uh, I think, yeah, it can be a slur when used by white people. People of color, it's a term that they have been using to talk about white women using their white supremacy to get what they and their families want. And so there, yes, I believe that usage is well. I don't. I don't have to give permission to people of color to use the term Karen. That's their term. What, do you have a replacement term for white people? Yeah. I mean, describe what they did. Uh, Teresa. Oh well, yeah, sure. In this case, Teresa is demanding other people collapse the structure of a pancake stack in order for her to have what she wants. And in hearing, in, in reading pancake, and in hearing you read it. 
there is a term that in my mind I'm applying to Teresa right now, and I think it's the smile right beforehand. Terrible mm-hmm. Teresa smiles and says, "Every." Well, what do you what do you think the smile is? Do you think the smile is a knowing that knowing that like she's ca- like when I read it, she knows she's causing a collapse. But I, if I would think of somebody who was demanding and entitled, they wouldn't necessarily have that self awareness. And I think there's both. Like every time mm-hmm. I see, every time I see someone, you know, without a mask or, you know, causing troubles on a plane, I figure it's a solid 50-50. You've got people who are completely aware of what they're doing and just doing it because they can get away with it. I'm looking at, you know, you capital seizures. And then you have people that are just straight up ignorant. I don't think entitlement and ignorance are the same thing. Sure, but they often go hand in hand. Right. And so in in Teresa's case, I read her as a knowing sort of entitlement. Yeah, just going to Jenga the whole flapjack stack. <laughs> is, is that our new catchphrase on this show? Jenga the whole flapjack stack. We're going to... It's, it's, it's no more eat the rich, it's Jenga the flapjack stack. <laughs> I don't understand what this has to do with rich people, though. Like... Are rich no, no. people the people on top, or is are they the pancakes on the bottom? No, no, no. Teresa is just the K-word. Oh, uh, okay. She, she's the one. <laughs> you don't have to say K-word. <laughs> she's the say one. Karen. She's Even the one. Even though I... Well, I'm a I white like... guy. I'm a white guy. <laughs> I know, but don't say... You don't have to say the K-word. Like... <laughs> It's it doesn't because because saying the word Karen even if you're a white guy is does not have the same weight and 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 severity and importance to it as saying something like an N word like that's just not the same. <sighs> Golly, privilege, pancakes, selling your sister. The well, deep dark world of Shel Silverstein. Maybe we could do a palate cleanser with Hug of War. All right. So after all that talk about privilege and. And selling your sister and Karen's. Uh, We present to you a special, extra delightful, warm and fuzzy... Hug-a-war! Hug-a-war by Shel Silverstein. I will not play it, tug-a-war. I'd rather play it hug-a-war. Where everyone hugs instead of tugs. Where everyone giggles and rolls on the rug. Where everyone kisses and everyone grins. And everyone cuddles. And everyone wins. So I uh, don't love touching people in general, but I do like (laughs) touching people that I trust. So as long as everything's quite consensual, I do like the idea of hug a war. Oh, it's going to be great when we can hug people again, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I totally enjoy not shaking people's hands and not having people think that hugging me is great because I only like (laughs) hugging a few people but i'm looking forward to being able to hug those people again i'm just i'm cuddly like a cactus in general but for the people that i trust i do like touching them who am i most missing hugging probably my grandma yeah she just got her first shot that's good yeah so the last time i saw my dad i didn't touch him because it it i saw him in i think it was june but uh, I went back east very briefly to help my sister through a health issue. And for me, it was like, I will see you on the deck. For my father, I was like, I see you on the deck and I won't, I'm not touching you. And of course, the promise was that, you know, if I was safe and did the socially distant thing, I'd get to see him and actually touch him uh, when we all got vaccinated. And so the last time I touched my father was uh, Christmas last year. And uh, I'll never get to do it again. 
in the past, when I left my father uh, to go back to the West Coast, we'd do this very long hand-holding thing. And so I'd be, I'd give him a hug, and then we'd clasp hands, and I would have a moment to be like, okay, this might be the last time. And so it's particularly terrible that I didn't get to do that the last time I saw him. I didn't get to hold his hand and think to myself, this might be the last time. And not being able to touch him the last time I saw him was a really big is 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 a really big deal. Wow, this uh, so this actually, and I'm glad we're doing this podcast in a lot of ways because it's going to be a lot of <laughs> it's going to be a lot of therapy for me going through grief. Like the nice thing about Shel Silverstein is I don't think my dad ever read any Shel Silverstein to me, so it's not like it. Shel Silverstein is powerfully attached to my childhood, but not to my father. So. I don't have anything. So when we read the poems, I'm thinking about my childhood and not not specifically about him. So I get to dance around topics until I feel like it's appropriate to say them. Interestingly enough, I share the same thing. It's it's more associated with school for me. Yeah, school and babysitters. Babysitters, huh? Interesting. And and yeah. I, I don't have, but I don't have any specific memory tied to it. I know that I know I read the books in school. And would, like, get them from the library. But as far as, like, a memory of a teacher or a particular lesson that went along with one of them, I got none of that. I do have one particular babysitter it's attached to, but not not really her. It's attached to her house because she had a either a record or a tape of, I think it was, it was either Weather Sidewalk Ends or A Light in the Attic, and we played it over and over and over again, and so I have this memory of her basement and Cheryl Silverstein's poems. I'd be curious to know who it was that was doing the audiobook. Can't remember. Uh, of course I wouldn't remember. I was like five. Sure, but it, it's, it's one of those, like, imagine if it was someone, like, super famous at the time. It's like Peter O'Toole reads Shel Silverstein or something. No idea. It's it's like kids who might have heard the Harry Potter audiobooks growing up and didn't know who Stephen Fry was. Hmm. Well, he's still alive. Yeah, yeah, he's still alive. But I mean, like when when they, when they get to be our age, maybe he's not. Right. That's true. I still haven't read or seen any Harry Potter. <laughs> well, it's 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 more problematic these days. Well, actually, now that it's problematic, a number of my friends are reading it now because the. Uh, they're no longer intimidated by the fandom. And I don't mean like the fandom's bad or, or like, or that the fandoms, it's just that they don't feel any pressure about it anymore. And mm. they kind of, they want to know what's going on in the cultural zeitgeist, but they don't have to talk to anybody about it if they don't want to. <laughs> and, and so now I'm actually tempted to do it because the fandom's gone. I'd recommend it. Yeah. I mean, but... I want to know what the cultural zeitgeist was about, but I also like don't want to make a big thing about it. Yeah. But then I'm the biggest nerd that you'll ever meet. So I've met bigger nerds. It's true. I'm. I, I think I'm more just well adjusted. No. No. <laughs> well, I think if there's a message we can take away from this, it is whoever you have out there that you haven't said a kind word to in a minute, now might be that minute. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a lot to say about that, but I don't really want to keep going into it. I should say only if you want to, not if it's someone toxic that you just, that someone is obligating you to say hello to. We can ignore them. Uh, isn't there a lot to say? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to say any of it right now. I can't wait till we get to touch people consensually again. 
It'll be cool. The day, I, yeah. I, I think we're closer to there than we were to the start of this. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm glad you're still alive out there, because if you're listening, you must be alive. <laughs>